Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast is sponsored by nonprofit Professional Performance 360 magazine. Hi, this is Paul Lemberg, and I want to welcome you to Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. This podcast is all about ways to redefine leadership as a pathway to increasing your business or nonprofit income. Now, here's Hugh with today's session. Greetings, this is Hugh Ballou. Welcome to Orchestrating Success, Converting Your Passion to Profit. And I have a special guest today. She's one of a team of leaders in, a, in an organization called the Karmic Path. Tina, tell us who you are and a little bit about you and then a little bit about the Karmic Path. Well, thank you, Hugh, and thank you for having me on your show. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. I spent 20 years in the military. I, uh, I'm a retired naval officer. I retired at the commander level, and I worked for the submarine force for 20 years. And when you discuss conducting, I play seven different instruments, none of them particularly brilliantly, but I really love music, and I wanted to see what I could learn. And I was in the band, so I understand conducting. And if you don't have a strong leadership, then everybody stays out of tune or out of sorts. And so the metaphor of conducting is really quite brilliant. So I did work for the submarine force. I retired in 1992 and I started on a very different path. And that's where the karmic path comes from, where I learned that I have certain, I guess, for lack of a better word, psychic abilities. And I had to learn how to use them for the greatest good, how to help other people, and what was the karma attached to that? So I took what I learned in the military and translated it to metaphysics. So now what we're doing with the karmic path is teaching the physics of metaphysics. That's, That's kind brilliant. of a couple nutshell. That's brilliant. And I, I've experienced, well, dogs are a lot more psychic than, than um, we give them credit for. And children. And we sort, of, we sort of knock it out of children as they grow up. The smart ones like you stay attuned. But we, we're born with a lot, more, a lot more sense in this area than we realize. And as we get older, as we learn to trust that, that we can be more in tune. But it's more of a, a spiritual realm than it is a, what we want to touch it, physical realm. Um, so uh, Tina Irwin, I didn't say it's E-R-W-I-N. Correct. Spell karmic. K-A-R-M-I-C, karmic. Now, tell us what karmic means. If you drop a pebble in a pool, the action of dropping the pebble is, is an action, and the ripples that come out of that pool are the reaction. Karma is the law of action and reaction. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't have a bad day. It always is. So if you drop a rock in a pool, depending on the size of the rock, 
will immediately and forever determine the exact size of what the ripples would be in perfect balance. So if you take an action, whether you are an employee or you are the, the CEO, you are going to create a reaction in proportion to what you, the action you took. So if you summarily fire someone, there will be a reaction. And so as a leader, you have to determine what kind of reaction do I want? So you're creating karma with everything you do. So was firing that person a good thing or a bad thing? It's what you did. And you have to look at what is now going to be the karmic repercussions, the reaction for your action. It's not good or bad or right or wrong. It's simply the reality you're facing. But a really fine leader anticipates that if X happens, this is what's going to happen in the future. Doesn't mean you're some psychic and you're now having premonitions and you're seeing the future. But it doesn't take a psychic to see that if you do this action, you can anticipate a certain level of result. Not 100%. We can't possibly see 100%. But you, will, you should be able to anticipate a large percentage of what will happen. That is so key. And we as leaders don't always think of the consequences of our actions. We think this has to be done without thinking about the consequences. And once you've... Once you've squeezed that toothpaste out of the tube, you're not putting it back in. It's out. It's out. And um, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I deal with is leaders that slash and burn and then get mad at other people for their reaction when, in fact, we're the ones that set up the problem. It, it's not bad or good, but we set it up and call it a problem because we're getting unintended results because we didn't think it through. This is a this is a big deal topic because um, it's it's something that's invisible for for a lot of leaders. Do you find that to be true? I do find that to be true, and I have dozens of military stories. But it doesn't matter whether you're military or civilian; it's irrelevant. We have the case of the the commanding officer who expected you to do what he said, no matter what, and you have individuals who can see that he isn't thinking clearly. And I can share a very interesting example, if that would be all right. All right, go for it. Um, I was attached to Commander Submarine Force US Atlantic Fleet in Norfolk. And I had a, an amazing job, but that's a different, different element. While I was attached there, we had several squadrons that left out of Norfolk. And they, every, every so often, they had what's called an ORS team. And that's the Operational Reactor Safeguard evaluation team and they always make sure that the naval re that the a a nuclear reactor on a submarine is safe the ship is ship handling is safe everything is working correctly it's not just an engineering test it's a whole ship-wide test so an ORS team on board is a big deal so the ship gets underway out of Norfolk they're in the Thames River and it's a river full of other craft and the captain says to the navigator, all ahead flank, which means as fast as you can go. And the navigator says, but captain, we have all this traffic. I would recommend respectfully, sir, all ahead slow till we get into open water and we hit the 100 fathom curve and then we can, I mean, we're a submarine. Submarine's low profile. When you look at the tankers, I, I know what this guy's thinking. Oh my God, the tankers that are all around us. But the captain says, by God, I'm the captain, all ahead flank. 
and the navigator says, Captain, I say again, this is ill-advised. And the oars team's just standing there watching this. The captain says, I'm giving you a direct order, all ahead flank. And the, and the navigator says, sir, I hereby refuse this direct order. And he tells the watch to load it in the log. I am refusing the direct order because it's an illegal wrong order. And I stand relieved. And the captain says, XO, get over here, all ahead flank. And so when the sailplanes of the submarine opened up the tanker like a freaking can opener to open ocean, the navigator was the only one who was not court-martialed. Because oh, he yeah. could see, he knew that since they were, oh, by the way, also operating in fog, who in their right mind takes any ship to sea in fog? And so the navigator karmically did the right thing. And he pushed the CO so that the ORS team could see what, frankly, a jackass he was. And he was relieved on the spot by the ORS team and the XO and the chief of the boat. And so I, they, they had to immediately turn around and it was a massive investigation and then they had to pay for the tanker that was damaged. And of course the submarine didn't even show a mark because it's so exceptionally well built, usually by electric boat division. So here's an example of a CO who's abusing his power. His ego has gone to his head and common sense has fled. So it wouldn't take <laughs> a nuclear engineer to see that he's going to hit something. And when it does, it's going to be bad. He's just lucky that it happened that soon before he was able to do more damage. So this is an example of, a, of you can see what's coming. It's not rocket science, but the CO got his ego in the way. And when that happens, whether it's a corporation or a submarine, it's going to be bad. Get yourself out of the way, if you can. Well, as you and I discussed briefly before we started this interview, I champion transformational leadership, which is a style of leadership about a high-performing culture and a very qualified leader. And the culture is a reflection of the leader and the leader elevates uh, leaders on teams. So you just described a high-functioning team and the leader was not listening to the input. And, and so we have in any field, corporations lose a lot of money because leaders do that kind of thing. Uh, conductors uh, have bad concerts because they don't listen to what, what's coming to them from the players. So we do, we do barge into areas where we think we have the divine right, but we've not really looked at the data and received the data. And the best leaders don't have all the right answers. The best leaders take in the data from the highly skilled people we've trained around us. And that's a good example where you have a very skilled leader who had a very clear opinion and the, the top leader didn't listen to that, that person with expertise and therefore created disastrous results, which could have been far worse, couldn't they? They could have been. I do have an example of a leader who took a different tract and actually changed, changed a lot of things. So I can do Let me set the context. We have a lot of different kinds of uh, uh, leaders listening to this podcast. They're leaders that are in social benefit work, that are doing small companies. They're also leaders that are in mid-cap companies. But as somebody starting out, we even have people who are solopreneurs that are working by themselves 
looking to build out a big team. So these are fundamental principles you can change if you've already got a large team or as you're building your organization, you want to keep these in mind, keep yourself in tune as a leader. So as you build the culture, you're able to lead that culture of fine performing individuals that you bring in. So go ahead. Let's have that other example. This is fascinating. I, I love the submarine force. I married a submariner 44 years ago and these are some of the smartest men I've ever met. A brilliant, brilliant men, and they're 99% men. And for some reason, I was honored to get to work with them. And when I was sent to Commander Submarine Force U.S. Atlantic Fleet, I was given a job that I had no idea how to do. And it was, I was the Assistant Chief of Staff for Force Physical Security, Anti-Terrorism, and Law Enforcement. And my territory was the entire Atlantic fleet, the Caribbean, and all of Europe to protect 86 submarines, nine submarine tenders, and three submarine bases, and the senior Jewish admiral in the Navy. And I had two mentally retired people to help me. And I was told, you know, that's your job and don't screw up. And I went home and cried for three days. I'm not going to lie. I would love to tell you that I rose to this great occasion, but I felt like I'd been set up to fail. And then I had a transformation myself, which was I had no place to go but up. Since they have nothing and everybody's worried about massive terrorist attacks in the 80s or blowing up airplanes and cars and, and doing all and hijackings and, and assassination attempts, anything I do could potentially be helpful. So I decided that I needed real help because I didn't know what I was doing. So I contacted submarine, I contacted SEAL Team 6. And if there's ever people who know about terrorism, it would be SEAL Team 6. And I developed through finding some of the finest people I could find and sitting down and saying, please teach me. I don't know anything about how to do this. Will you help me? And then working with the security officers at the bases, I was able to gather what do we really need, hone it down, and develop a program. And along the way, because it's the military, the boss changed. So my three-star admiral changed, and I ended up with Admiral Cooper, who I did not know. And when I spoke to him, everybody had to brief him, and we were given 30 seconds. So how can I brief a three-star admiral on the security of this massive fleet in 30 seconds flat. And so they said, um, you only have 30 seconds and here the Admiral's in front of you, don't screw up, tell him what you need to tell him. And so I said, Admiral, there's no way I can give you a valid demonstration of the security of your fleet in 30 seconds. I'm requesting a private meeting with you. No one else did that. They crammed crap into 30 seconds. And he looked at me like, that really took balls. And he said, turn to his chief of staff, he says, set it up and give her, give her half an hour. I could do a lot in half an hour, but 30 seconds was ridiculous. And I sat down and I said, this is what's going on. This is how I'm supposed to take care of you and protect you from being murdered. And, and he said, well, I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. And I said, I don't really give a damn Admiral because you're going to die if you don't do what I tell you. And he said, Okay, I said, your, your aide can't call you Admiral. You can't wear your great scrambled egg hat. Wear, wear 
jeans and a t-shirt when you fly, sanitize your wallet. And this is what we're doing for the fleet. And I gave him this list, project by project by project. And he was so impressed. And I said, I need money. I need to be able to do these things, which the, pro the process is classified still to this day because it had never been done before. And this man listened. He listened. He gave me the time because my husband was out there. My brother-in-law's out there. All of my friends' husbands are out there. It's personal. And it was personal to him. And he listened, appropriated the money, and made sure that he not only listened and, and gave me the money to put it fleet-wide, he invited in the type commanders for the surface fleet, the air fleet, and other areas and shared it so that the entire fleet, surface, air, submarine, could all be working together. This man is one of my heroes. I just, to this day, I think the world of him. And I was given a lot more authority and a lot more money, and those things are still in the fleet to this day. So here's a person who took an unknown and listened and then went forward with it and the man is absolutely adored throughout the fleet because he listens. Well, those are all exceptional leadership qualities that 3% of the leaders possess, 3% of the population. Um, you know, a rare number are leaders anyway, but you get 3% that possess those qualities. That's even a rarer. And I'm sure you found that to be true in your, you were 20 years in the military, were you? 20, yes. Yeah. So let's, um, you keep using the word man. So let's jump into this gender thing. And I would guess that um, you were playing in a man's world there. I was. I had to learn to speak their language. I didn't expect them to learn to speak mine. So I want to I wanna throw a bomb into your midst. I have, I write on the, uh, the myth of equality. And we, we, you know, women say, oh, I want equality. When, when you influence this person, and we've got this, this old white male paradigm that we've set up, so why should women who are a fresh perspective, a whole lot better quality, a whole lot more creative, a whole lot more, as you use the word ballsy, why should you dumb down the equality? You want equity. You want your own space. And that's what I perceive that you just did. And I'm betting because you were you weren't aggressive, you were assertive. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that as assertive. You said, I don't care what you say, but... I think, you know, aggressive, you would have sat him down, tied him up. Assertive was, you said, this is what you need to do for me to do my job. And I think that was a brilliant response. So speak to the fact of the, the gender there. You're a woman in a man's world that may, in that, that situation, worked in your benefit because you stepped up to your excellence as a woman leader. Tell me, tell me more about what that paradigm was. My hero is Captain Kirk from Star Trek because I didn't see any leaders when I grew up. But he solved problems and he employed the best of the people around him. And so that was, he was my role model of what a commander should be doing with and for his people and the decisions, how hard the decisions are to be made. So when I went to work for the submarine force and they didn't know what to do with women, I think I was one of the first three that ever worked for them. Mm. 
I had to explain to them in their vernacular. They didn't know what to do with us, so I needed to tell them in a way that would be beneficial to them, demanding and and doing things that were out of their range of understanding wouldn't win me anything. And so when I was a, I was a lieutenant junior grade assigned to submarine school and they just stuck me in a job and the executive officer said, well, what would you like to do at sub school? And I said, I'd like to teach class, sir. And he said, well, women don't teach class. And I said, sir, how hard can it possibly be? Men do it. And I thought really, I really did think he would laugh. He didn't, he didn't even crack a smile. And I said, sir, I really want to teach class. He said, what could you possibly teach anyone here? And I said, I'm an, I am an expert at the classified material system because I receded for all the crypto gear for all new construction submarines at Electric Boat Division, which was my last duty station. Civil women will never teach class here. And I thought, oh my gosh, you laid down a gauntlet. Let me try. So they gave me a job of opening mail for a lieutenant commander, and it was just mind-numbingly boring. So I said, oh, please, you can just get me out of your hair if you'll just let me go to instructor school. And they said, fine, anything to shut you up. So I graduated just fine from instructor school, and I said, now I'd like to teach class. Oh, please, I can teach CMS, and I can teach admin, and these are all the things I can teach. And they said, well, if the CEO of the school says so, maybe we'll consider it. So I said, well, let's set up an appointment. So I said to Captain Vossen, who this is a big man. I'm five foot one, and I, I'm five foot one, and I weighed 105 pounds. I look like this little tiny thing. And I said, Captain Bossen, you are a man of vision and wisdom. Can you imagine how it's going to look in all hands when your name is mentioned as being the most progressive man in the submarine force by opening a door for men and women to work together by allowing me to teach this particular class? And he said, Really? I said, yes, sir, I can teach this. I'll do all the CMS inspections on the river. I'll do them on the waterfront. And, you know, I know we know people at all hands. And so he said, okay. And I became the first female instructor in the history of submarine school. And all hands, I still have the article that Captain Boston has mentioned, and they give him high praise. And I was incidental. I didn't care. Teach class. So... It worked out beautifully, and I opened up five other jobs for women, and we developed a lot of friends. I built friendships with all of the men who took my classes. I was locked in a vault with 25 of the coolest guys you've ever seen all day long, teaching all this classified material. And I made amazing friends, and I grew to have a deep and abiding respect for these men. And over time, they would take me aside and say, look, kid, listen, if you want your career to progress, do this, 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 and this. And I listened to them. They became my mentors. And so your reputation in the submarine force is always going to precede you because it's a small community. <laughs> and I made sure that I worked really, really hard, that I was extremely respectful, and that I learned the language that men understood and expected to hear, not what I was used to other women saying. And I had a blast. Doesn't mean I didn't have some bad days, 
But I have to tell you, I had a great career. Well, there's some very significant leadership nuggets in, in what you just shared. You want to position your message so that the other person can, can hear it. And, and there's a certain dynamic there, woman in a man's world. But there's other dynamics, uh, analytics, talking to creatives. Uh, you know, there's, there's just, a, in, I'm an extrovert, duh, talking to an introvert. Um, for us to be able to think about the receiving, you know, I've seen a sign that says, what you thought you heard is not what I thought I said. And so part of, part of the leadership dysfunction is we, we cause, when our karma, we cause negative results and we're not aware of it. And part of it is how we approach the situation. And what you did there is what a lot of leaders don't understand. They want to tell and we're selling a product or service. We're, we're trying to connect in a big deal or a collaboration or convince somebody of something. We talk about the what, and we never talk about the why and the brilliance of how you positioned with him. This is going to make you stand out as a leader. This is what's going to happen. You, you gave him, of course, it stroked his, his ego. You know, male ego is a, a thing you have to understand, and you do. Um, but you also talked about the, the benefits of this. Here's what I the demonstrated value. Here's why it's good for you. Here's the results you're going to have. And the way you approach that, you could have talked about it a lot of ways. You could have whined and said, you got to give women a chance. You could have done lots of whiny things, but you approached it from a very analytical, very logical, very fact-based position. So I'm, I'm, I'm really seeing um, a whole lot of good that you've brought into the non-military world from the military and, and back to transformational leadership. There's, there's lots of similarities. I've, I've modified it a little bit, and as you know, from the conductor standpoint, and there's lots of similarities. You, you got a leader that directs very highly skilled, highly trained, fine-tuned uh, culture. And you're in concert, you can't micromanage. You're in combat, you can't micromanage. The team has got to be high-performing, and they have to have rehearsed, and they have to have the synergy. That's why I call my company Center Vision. It's the, it's mm -hmm. the, uh, it's the synergy of the common vision. And um, this is really good stuff, Tina. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you and I met on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Took note to me. You said, "Hey, let's let's share a podcast." So I'll be on your show sometime later. But this is you, you don't know it, but you're you're tracking my 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 philosophy of leadership that I have created and developed, gleaned out of my my um, seventy one years of living and my my multiple years of studying transformational leadership. So this is really awesome stuff. So um, other other we have. Um, on our podcast, we have a lot of high-functioning female leaders in charities, in small business, in mid-cap companies. They're doing really good work. Any advice for those women who want to step up to their highest level? I don't, I don't use this, let's go to the next level thing. Let's just go to the top sequentially. So for ladies, for women out there that are really, really on it, what's your best advice to them to step to the top of their game? I have, I have several pieces because I spoke to many female midshipman classes. First of all, I want to address the male ego. If you're on a submarine and you have a billion dollar asset and the lives of 100 and, between 125 and 150 men, depending on whether it's a fast attack or a ballistic missile submarine, 
by God, that captain better have a decent ego. He better have enough confidence in himself to deliberately submerge that ship and bring it back, to be in trail of a Russian submarine for months. So I have a deep and abiding respect for the ego of those men, deep and abiding. And I wanted my own submarine. I really did. But Congress hadn't changed the law. Mm. So I do respect the ego of men because if you have that level of responsibility or if it's an aircraft carrier, you have to have enough ego to and believe in yourself enough to make it happen. You have to have an inner strength. And those were the lessons that these men taught me. And I value that every day. For women, I have two children and we actually uh, adopted a third. And I have uh, my grandchildren. When I was in the Navy, my children were little. And I had a lot of women say, oh my gosh, you know, I feel so guilty. I'm not spending time with my kids. And I said, um, I'm going to give that first class ticket on the guilt train back to you. I'm not guilty. I'm a significantly better mother wearing oak leaves than I would be standing, you know, as a soccer mom. I think soccer moms are awesome. That's not my personality. That works for you. I'm happy for you. I'm not here to judge. But I'm an aggressive personality on certain levels. I wanted to make commander. I wanted to be able to pave a way and open doors for other women, including my own daughter. And when I was with my kids, by God, I was with my kids. We're extremely close to this day. I didn't have to be with them 24-7. One of my, I was, I had uh, dinner with my engineer because I was uh, executive officer for submarine training facility at Point Loma in San Diego for a while. And somebody said, you know, Commander, you're going to retire soon. And um, how's it going to be to be a full-time mom? And I said, and the engineer stepped away. He said, man, it's going to be messy. <laughs> He said, are you a part-time dad? He said, well, of course not. And I said, I'm a full-time mom, whether I'm here or I'm in front of my kids. My kids are independent. They're individual thinkers. I am growing to the next crop of naval officers, whether they're in business or they're in the military. I don't care where they are. If you are organized, if you are focused, you can rise to the height of your game and you can still be a mom and you can still be a good wife you have to set your priorities you can't let anybody tell you that you can't don't let somebody else make you feel guilty for what you can't do it isn't about having it all it's about understanding what your mission is i have a mission as a mother that's not going to stop i have a mission as a wife i'm pretty good pretty good wife i have a mission as and it was a naval officer, but now I have a mission with the karmic path. And we've got actually five websites that we're working with now. And it's a mission that of enormous service to other people. Those missions don't change. And my family respects those mission and they help where they can. If you don't respect what you're here to do, what your mission is long-term, then don't do it. And don't think that you're sacrificing your children or their childhood just because you can't make every soccer game or band concert. You're going to miss some of them. It's not the end of the world. Be there for the important things. 
when you're present with them, be emotionally present. Get off your cell phone, get off your computer, leave your work at work. That is, those would be the things that I would say. Be clear in who you are and what you want. And if you're not, nobody else is going to know it either. Absolutely. Those are very, very profound words. Uh, if a leader has a very clear pathway, and, and I approach um, strategy like it's, it's military objectives and tactics. You know, you've got a real clear objective and here's your tactics. We, we sometimes do that for our business, for our work, which is really important, but we, don't, we rarely don't do it for ourselves. So there's a, there's a parallel path we have to manage self to be able to be a good mother, a good father, to be a good work person in the workforce. Um, part, of, part of one of the leadership methodologies that I teach came from a psychiatrist, Murray Bowen, B-O-W-E-N, talks about us learning about ourselves by studying our family of origin. And I've learned a whole lot of stuff that way about self and really the only person we can manage is ourselves. We can, we can bark at other people, but we can't make them do anything. Like that first story you told um, about the submarine officer who, who his uh, navigator would not do something unsafe or illegal. And he just said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So, so there's a piece in all of this leadership methodology, and it's a very common piece that I see where leaders cause themselves problems. And it's called over-functioning. And so um, I want to bounce a little bit off you and let you come back from that paradigm of balancing work and home life. You know, you got personal and you got work. And sometimes people over-function so much in work that they give up, unnecessarily give up, too much of personal life or the other way around. And it's about really setting some good principles. This is what I'm going to do. And then not over-functioning because usually – in the military, usually in a corporate setting, usually in a nonprofit setting or church setting or a synagogue setting, there are other people who want to do things. And as we overfunction for them, we actually irritate them and they underfunction, and then we end up burned out. So part of the paradigm that you didn't talk about that I heard in your narrative was that you were able to balance your life by saying, here's the essential things on both sides. And I'm going to balance those and be there. So speak to this dynamic. Uh, you've probably seen people that overfunction in your world and cause themselves some heartburn, and they don't—they're totally unaware of it. So speak of that dynamic about managing self, if you will. That is a really critical point, and my belief and what I do is delegate. I cannot possibly do it all. Why would I want to do it all? And if someone else does it, it's a learning opportunity for them. Why would I deprive them of the learning opportunity? I didn't have to make the lunches for my kids. This is how you make lunch. I'm teaching you. Now you're responsible for making your lunch. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, and so if you want to do this, this is what it's going to take. I'm not going to do that for you. This was true with my crew. Um, no matter where I was or what I was doing. And I was emotionally available to discuss a specific problem. But then I would give the problem back to the individual. You can problem solve to a point because part of leadership is teaching. And if you leave out the teaching portion of it, 
you're not the best leader you could be. If you think, if your ego is such that no one else can do it as well as you can, then how will anyone ever replace you? And one of the, one of the classic examples over time back through the history is I have studied the life of Queen Elizabeth I. Hmm. And the amount of change she brought to England and how she took it from a bankrupt country to the most powerful country in the world. And she controlled it all and she was brilliant, but she had no successor. And England took a dramatic leap backwards because she didn't plan ahead. Her glory may have been great, but her legacy was flawed because she didn't set herself up. She didn't, it's, it's, I had, um, when I was the XO out here, I had a stable of officers. And whenever I took leave, I would rotate act, the acting XO position among each of them so that when they got to be an XO, they would be able to face all of the problems. So I'm not the only person who can be an XO. Lots of people can be an executive officer. It doesn't have to just be me. And if we had problems, we'd go around the room and look at who had the best problem and create a solution everyone could buy into. If you buy into it, you have an emotional commitment. That means that you'll see it all the way through. If I direct, dictate, and order, you're just following orders. You're not thinking through it. When somebody's life depends on your decisions, you need that buy-in more than anything else. And so I looked at the leaders who gave me an opportunity to grow and to learn and to make mistakes. We, we don't come into mortal life to lead a perfect life. We come into mortal life for the experience. And if you are, as a leader are not anticipating your people will make mistakes, and you are not taking those mistakes and transforming them into powerful learning opportunities, you're missing one of your greatest opportunities as a leader is to teach and to grow and to train your replacement. It keeps your ego in check. Wow. Um, that's an often overlooked area. It's especially overlooked in um, the nonprofit world. But um, we, we tend to create all these great things, and then it goes, goes south after we, uh, we go on, retire or die. Um, so, Tina, this has been really good stuff today. I have a whole series of interviews with leaders that have great wisdom to share. And you're right there at the top of that list, and uh, both men and women. Um, I've got a good mix of, of different kinds of individuals from different walks of life. Never had somebody with this extensive a leadership background from the military. I find this to be very, very helpful. Um, I'm going to have a word here about a sponsor that helps me keep this on the air. But when I, when I finish that, I'd like you to tell people about uh, where they can find Karmic Path. And then uh, for you to have a parting shot, what would you like people to remember most? And um, what do they find when they get to the Karmic Path? Let me, let me talk about word sprint, like the word fast, word sprint. Bill Gilmer and his team print nonprofit performance magazine, which is the best leadership magazine for nonprofit leaders. But by the way, you're not running a nonprofit. You can still learn leadership from the magazine. What the brilliance of word sprint is, is they help you keep in touch with your tribe. It's top 
of mind marketing. You send print, print stuff, it's on their desk, you follow up with an email, people remember you, they know you, you retain customers, customers buy more, customers refer you, donors continue to give. So wordsprint.com, there's a link you can pull down and you can ask for a free consultation from Bill Gilmer and his team. It's a, it's a mail house with a first class print shop attached to it. They will keep you in touch, in touch, connected and top of the mind of everybody in your tribe. So Tina, tell people where they can find the karmic path. The, you can find the karmic path. It's on iTunes. It's on iHeartRadio. You can go to the app store and download the karmic path. And we put out a podcast every single week. And once a month, we have a one-hour podcast. Each podcast is anywhere from 10 to 18 or 20 minutes. And we discuss all kinds of different topics from parenting to business, leadership to spiritual elements, things that can offer you a different point of view on how action and reactions are reflected throughout your life. We're all walking a karmic path. The more each of us can be aware of it, the more thoughtfully and the more creatively we can make those decisions that affect not just our lives, but the lives of others. So that's what the karmic path is. It's a podcast. And I think that it could be of, of great help. We actually have teachers in classrooms listening to some of our episodes. Really? So, it's yeah. karmic spelled with a K, K-A-R-M-I-C. Uh-huh. A-A-R-M-I-C from karma. And karma is the Sanskrit word that means action and reaction. And that's really all karma is. It's no mystery. We want to take the mystery out of it. We want it to be ordinary, common, which causes you to pause, if ever so briefly, to think about your action and the potential reactions that will occur. Well, as you we uh, wind up this really inspirational and wisdom-packed podcast, what final thought would you like to leave with people? The final thought that I would like to leave with, with your listeners is that leadership starts from parenting. Your very first leadership example are your parents. And if your parents weren't the leaders you wanted, that doesn't mean that you can't be the leader that you would like to be. And if you don't have children, look back at the leaders that you thought were terrible and look at the lessons you learned. Look at the leaders you thought were brilliant and look at the lessons they offered. Everything is a lesson. Ignore the lessons at your peril, but when you embrace them, you take a giant leap forward on your karmic path. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Tina Irwin, The Karmic Path, thank you for sharing with our audience today. Thanks for listening today to the Orchestrating Success Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to stay focused on ways to redefine leadership and increase your profit. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.